I'm Amy Shields, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrap. Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How are you? Doing great. You? Doing fantastic, <laughs> because today's episode, I say this every week, but this week is our best episode yet. We've got Amy Shields. Amy Shields, the one candy. and only. Everybody loves candy. Everybody loves candy. Amy is quite amazing. I mean, she's yes. so nice, so generous to her time, and I think she's so incredible. Yeah, multi-talented. So without further ado, let's just jump in. <laughs> How I ended up meeting with Gianna was years before I met her, I had done a screen test for a movie for Randall Wallace. And that movie didn't happen, but a few years later, Joanna asked to meet with me through my agent in London. And I had not met with her before, and I, I looked her up and I thought, wow, she's worked with everyone I want to work with. Uh-huh. wonder why she wants to meet me. So <laughs> when I met with her, she said, you know, Amy, I have had this star beside your name for the longest time, and I saw you in a screen test you did. And I really wanted to meet with you because there's some people I work with that I think you would work very well with. And I I love your work. And when you come to L.A., I would really like you to call me and let me help you out and introduce you to some people. And I said, yes, please. Hmm. And when I moved to America, I looked her up. And what was your perception of Candy? Like, so when you got the script and you, you got the part, what did you make of this character? I instantly loved her, and there's mm. so little on the page because a lot of the scenes we shot weren't in the script. Oh. I feel most of the script is just in David's head. So uh-huh. even if we had been given the entire script, I think Kyle was the only actor who got the entire script. But it was so different to what they read anyway because David would pull me aside and say that you know he's going to shoot a different scene the next day, and sometimes I would come in and I would do a scene that I had no clue what it was about, and I would worry, like, did I just not prepare properly for this? Mm. And then I realized, no, there was nothing to prepare for. I wasn't given this scene. And then I think at one point I came in and he said, you know, and now Candy says her line, and I'm like, what line? <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah. forgot to tell her, so then you know, he came over and whispered a line in my ear. And, it's a good thing we made so many sandwiches. Like, okay. <laughs> So it was exciting working that way. We knew that you were in this, and I think, I thought, oh, she's going to be TP agent from Mark Frost's book. And I, a lot of us said, oh, you know, we're so excited to see mm-hmm. you. And it was like, I think it took five parts before you got into the show. And, and that was, you were just with the girls at the wall, and you didn't even speak. So it was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we were all kind of floored. Like, like when are you going to be in this? <laughs> yeah. What's going yeah. on? Me too. 
In part five, you're with the girls in the, at the wall and you're making this waving motion with your hands. Can you share with us how that came about? Is that you? Is that the script? Is that David? Oh, that was me. I just felt like that felt like it was right in the moment. I have my own reasons and backstory for that, but. That is That's awesome. It's for me to know for now. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because I, when I think of David, David's very much with his hands. And he, like when he first talked about Twin Peaks, he was like, oh, the trees make motion. And he he, he does gestures with his hands. So it felt so Lynchian. And I, I think that was so cool. And I'm sure you've seen they've done animated GIFs where it's just like a continuous loop of you doing waves with your hands. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that made me so happy. I think it's my proudest moment. I studied mine professionally for three years. And I was part of this. Oh, and seeing uh, that you wonder at the time when you study these art forms that seem so redundant these days because there's CGI and there's all these other things and there's very few times that you get to employ these tricks that you've learned over the years and you kind of wonder why you would ever use these things so it was so nice as an artist to just put something in that now I've been asked so much about it's a really proud moment for me actually I think someone tweeted it to me once they said something about it, and I have to say it was my proudest moment because it's not like I have anyone to say anything to. You know, it's just all in my person that I care about this. So when someone says something to me about it, it makes me happy. It makes me blush. It just it makes me feel like this is something I created and it worked in this scenario. I don't think it would work in any other job I've ever done. <laughs> so yeah. I'm grateful to you, David, for keeping it in there. I love it. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear that that was your original idea. Because that, I mean, I mean, that to me is even more special that that was all you. So that's so cool. I think everybody was talking about it the next day. Yeah. This the, the entrance you. that you guys made, the th the three of you against the yeah. wall, and you're doing that. Like everybody, it was like a mystery. Who yeah. are these three people? What is going on? And they seem to be super cool. Yeah. Thanks. So <laughs> <laughs> some of the crew member asked me about it and asked me where it came from and what I was doing and then one of them brought me over to David to discuss it with him because Marcel Marceau had actually taught me that when I was younger. Wow. The artist himself, he was over from Paris and he taught me that and it was nice to use it. I believe he trained David Bowie too and David Bowie is such an influence in the show as well. It was nice, I suppose, to have that little... I hadn't even thought of that actually until afterwards, but I guess it was a, a three-thread. That That's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, am I right? The girls are Candy, Sandy, and Mandy. Is that is that the three? Correct. <laughs> yeah. And so, what was it like working with the girls? I, the girls, I don't think, have any lines except for you. I mean, but how was it? No, they're my squad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about scenes that weren't in the script. Uh, what did it feel like to uh, be added to the scene of going after a fly? Uh, he just came to me and said, um, "Amy, do you know." Can you make tears? Do you know how to cry? And I said, yeah, do I? <laughs> yeah. So me and Mark are going to write something to you tonight. Uh, and Candy's so funny. She's not trying to be funny, but she is so funny. Even the way you betrayed her with crying, I part of me just laughs because she's just bawling <laughs> and she goes on and on. I mean, she seems to go on for hours. <laughs> and I thought I heard that you actually... Oh, and, and we did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I thought I heard that you did like a day of crying. Yeah. That was a whole day. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. If you want to share other things, you do also do voice work. I know, of course, you did Mark Frost's book, but you also have done video games. And What is it like doing voice work? Yeah, I do a lot of voice work. 
I'm watching it with Morris right now. It's amazing. I haven't gotten to see it because I don't know. If, I can't find any videos here in, in the states. But there's a there's a show called Sticky, which looks to me kind of like South Park or something. Your plan won't work, Professor. Oh, it's not my plan. It's mine. Everyone, drop your weapons. Oh, Bambi Face Squad. I've watched all your pornos. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've been involved in that for years. So Ed Tracy, who directs it, uh, he's a wonderful BAFTA-winning director. We did a pilot for BBC together, um, a comedy, on-camera comedy. And then we would workshop a bunch of ideas together just as creatives. We get on really well, and we've been working on a lot of different projects together over the years. And... He had come up with this great idea that it would be an animation, but he uses our real heads. <laughs> so you take thousands of photos of your face, and your face is just dead straight, but your eyes will move, um, I think it's 36 different positions with the same facial expression, so that when we're talking in the cartoon, it looks like our face is talking. And it's really cute. It's like these little figures from mm-hmm. South Park, and then our heads are moving. <laughs> yeah, this is a really cool cast on that. I saw a clip really funny, yeah. like the characters, just that way they're responding <laughs> and acting. And it, it looks like a fun piece. Oh, Bambi Face Squad, I think that's that's the character you uh, might have seen. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yep. Love it. Seriously, there are more episodes to come. We just saw, I think, four, four of them on right now on BBC, but there are other ones after that, which I think I get to play a werewolf in one of them, which is really <laughs> cute, and Tom Hardy plays my human boyfriend, and it's really us being in school and being bullied, and we, we're we not afraid to be together. You know, uh-huh. we're proud of being together. There's no racism <laughs> in our school. <laughs> so it's just a really fun little show. And back to Twin Peaks, you know what I liked was that uh, in Part 13 you had the Congo line. You guys look like you're having so much fun. I mean, like, I feel like even out of the character, you guys, did you guys have fun doing that? It was a lot of fun shooting that day, yeah. But I think I was in candy for most of the time in character, because it's hard to jump in and out of that. Yeah. So I was legitimately being candy in that party line. And I loved working that day as well, because Don Murray, he's a dear friend anyway, so that was nice to have our scene together and present him with all the prizes. I said... A monogrammed diamond cufflink. Oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> it was a real honor to work with such a legend. What was it like the first day? Like, uh, for you, I'm assuming it was in the... Um, restaurant, maybe. In the restaurant, yeah. My one-on-one talk with David, which is the only talk you have before you go to film. I had an hour... Uh, was it an hour? Or was it was 10 minutes. Went in to talk with him. And all he really said to me was that she's dumb as a brick, but cute as a button with it. And that was it. And I said, I'm going to get jotted for a little bit. Maybe I ask more questions. And then I, I said, do you want her to be Irish or American? And he said, well, why would she be Irish? He said, well, because I'm Irish. <laughs> and he said, what? <laughs> and I, I put on an act the entire time I was talking to him, which is what I do here a lot of times. I don't, I don't want people to hear the Irish first and then say, oh, she's not, she's not American. Her accent is slipping. Because a lot of people mix up your voice with your accent. So that was great. And he said, no, she's American. So we laughed at that. Hmm. And then I went off and I decided, well, I'm not going to have her just be these couple of lines on the page. I want, if she's not going to speak with her words, then she's going to speak with her body. Hmm. Because I really do believe in, and it is true, 70% of what we say is through our body language. And that's something that you can really express. And I find if you do a small part, for me, it helps if you just grab that and make that your own. Mm-hmm. So I embodied everything 
in a backstory that I made up for myself because he's, you know, David's not about the backstory. He was like, oh, whatever you come up with, that's your business. Nice. And that's why I don't really talk about it very much because it takes away from the show that it is because that's just my backstory. That's not what actually happened to the characters that David wrote. But yeah. in my mind, it's where it came from. And that's where the collaboration is. It's that we're all coming to the table with our own ideas of what happened before, I guess. And that's how I work. That's not necessarily how every other actor on my show works. But for yeah. me, I had a massive backstory that I worked on and I brought that into physicality. And then once I had the costume and the hair and makeup, it really made sense to me. And that would make her move in a different way than I would move and talk in a different way than I would talk. I found her voice and everything kind of came together then. That's so cool. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm always fascinated about like uh, how people you know, work like that. Yeah, you transform yourself into something different. I love the fact that you keep it to yourself, though. I mean, that's cool because it's like it keeps the mystery alive. And I think that's what... I I think that's what uh, Lynch is all about. So that's really cool. I never talked to Robert about his backstory of what his character was. I mean, I know Jim mentioned his before, but I know that we had completely different ideas of what our backstories would have been. So that's funny too, because then it still works on camera and you don't have to agree on what your backstory was because that's up to each individual actor. And then, you know, you just hope the chemistry works. Yeah. Yeah. And it sure did. I mean, you guys were great. I'm hoping we'll just get a spinoff with the Mitchum brothers (laughs) and you guys, and we can get like all the antics that ensued before meeting Dougie or after. Wouldn't that be fun? But I think it would be more candy on the Mitchum Brothers, not the reverse. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you want to share what some of the other work you're doing? I mean, I know you're a producer and involved with a lot of other projects. Yeah, we just finished on a movie I shot in Chicago called Freelancers Anonymous. That's a really fun comedy that I made with Lisa Cordellioni. And I'm producing a documentary called The Dark Dollar, and that's about racial inequities with a focus on finance in America. Wow. And I find that useful for me, too, because I'm so new to this country and I do not know how the system here works. There's a lot of... We don't either. We don't either. <laughs> all this. I feel like nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> so we're working on that at the minute. I'm also uh, working on a film that I'm writing and co-directing with Ryan Turner and that is with an Irish production company, but we will be shooting that here. Awesome. So is a documentary, do you have, like, sit down with people and and interview them, or how is it structured? Yeah, we've got some wonderful interviews on there, but also it follows our director, John Guyton, his cousin. They both were born in Compton, and we follow John's cousin going through trying to get a job and signing up for his first credit card and all these different things, and we're showing how things can be so difficult and Mm. what is wrong with the system and then we show you how you can change that and how to do these different things how to make it easier so we're not just showing the problem we're also showing solutions and that's why i was encouraged to get on board because i love watching documentaries and i find it frustrating at times when you watch these things and you see how awful something is and you're left wondering well how do i help yeah and then you go off and you know if you remember it after watching 10 documentaries which ones start out to you you might Google it and fall down the rabbit hole of different ways you might be able to help. People aren't really enthusiastic about doing that. I feel they lose the momentum once they turn off the television. So I feel with this documentary that we're doing, we're now making it into a TV series, 12 parts, Wow! that we will show you what you can do in the moment. And it's not just for yourself. You could help others, but really it's teaching people how to help themselves. So 
genius. Yeah, that's a genius idea. Honestly, I watched uh, documentaries. Me and my girlfriend will watch it, and afterwards, the first thing my girlfriend will say to me, "Well, that was depressing. How do we do anything about that?" Yeah. And you don't know unless you do do the research. But who knows what yeah. is the right way to do it? And I think that's a genius idea. Do you know where you. where it's going to be? Like, how can we? Like, is it going to be on a streaming service, or you, you guys um, don't know yet? We're out with all the major networks right now, so we do have one of the major networks wants it, so we're just pitching it nice. Other ones and getting the best price. We uh, the other one that I am excited about there's the film that I'm making with Marcy Films. So I'm excited about that because it's the first one that I was well, I've written the films before, but it's the first one that I was written and I'll co-direct and star in as well. So that wow. Fun. Hey, what's the name of that one? It's called Twelve. Twelve. Wow. Mm-hmm. Co-directing it is this? Will this be the first time that you're directing or co-directing? Yeah. That's exciting. Wow. I can't wait for that. Yeah, That'd congratulations. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for it to take off, too. Um, we're just, yeah, just doing all the final bits to it now, and then we'll get into casting, and then we'll go ahead and make it. Awesome. Nice. So talking about directing, you've had many different directors that you've worked with. What is it like working with David Lynch? Working with David Lynch is very different to working with any other director I've worked with, in that it is pure art. I mm. think it was Showtime that said it was liquid heroin it's what it feels like it's so fluid you're allowed to just embody the madness and the artistic creation of him and yourself and all of that and work with a wonderful team that he surrounds himself with so it's like this lovely home that we all just go to that we've all gone to forever it feels like going mm. in there every day it's wow. a place that's familiar to us all something and that's... you just go in and express yourself and the fun and it's very welcoming the original cast members are the kindest people I've ever worked with. They have embraced me. They've been kind. There's no intimidation. It's wonderful because I find it very intimidating going in on other people's shows. I always do because they're there all the time and it's their baby and a lot of people are very protective of their baby and you go into Twin Peaks and everyone's just trusting. They're like, hey, come join the party. That's awesome. And do you yeah, have... Yeah, I remain friends with a lot of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you feel it with just going to these festivals and Sketch Fest. Fest. Yeah, yeah, I went to Sketch Fest. That was fun. I did some stand-up comedy there. It was fun. I'm doing another stand-up show actually on the 25th of February with Joshy Fadum in Los Angeles. That'll be fun. Oh, wow. Aww. Why are We're on the mm-hmm. East Coast. Why aren't we on the West Coast? We're missing out uh, on We're missing out on everything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do one in New York. There you go. That'd be awesome. Did you watch Twin Peaks originally? Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew the show. I loved it. I finished on a movie called Cowboys and Angels and uh, Michael Legg, who was in the film with me to today me this is so your sense of humor you're gonna love Twin Peaks I can't believe you haven't seen it yet so we watched it and I was obsessed it's completely my sense of humor I love dark 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 humor uh, and I love the soap opera thing I love the overacting and yeah. the music <laughs> The, the really loud music over these scenes where you don't think there's much emotion and then suddenly the, the music is telling you that something very important and traumatic is happening. <laughs> yes. Now, did it you, makes me giggle. Do you have a chance to watch all of season three yourself? Did you watch it week to week yes, with everybody? I, yeah, I watched it once a week. Yeah, every Sunday. I didn't watch it either with John and Shannon Hill, some friends of mine, or I would watch it with some of the cast members. We'd have parties the odd time. So what did you think of season three? I mean, did you, did you like have more questions and answers or were you just perplexed as all of us were at the end? <laughs> I was perplexed. I have to admit, the first five episodes I was thinking, am I even in this? <laughs> and then when I came on, then I was like, then I was just 
I think Owain Reese Davies texted me a photo because I was in London when I finally did make it onto the screen. And Owain, who's met as well, he sent me a photo. He's been watching it. He's like, look. <laughs> so that was fun. And then I was kind of sad because I thought, oh my God, I'm not in again. <laughs> Six, seven, and eight, and nine. <laughs> finally, ten came. And I thought, yeah, I'm finally in it. And, and ten, that was exciting. And ten, I feel like you had a lot. There was, I think they put a lot of the story in ten. I mean, there was, there yes. was the whole hitting Rodney yeah. and crying. and I had so much fun doing that. And it was great because finally when I did arrive, because I heard such positive feedback from Showtime, from everyone on our crew that I'm friends with, you know, Peter Deming, all of that, like, yeah. the the editor, everyone was telling me all this positive stuff they, who had seen it. And so few people had seen it, but when they saw me, they were really excited about Candy. And I thought, what are they excited about? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not in it. And then I just <laughs> finally got to and I thought, oh, yay. And then it got more exciting for me watching it. I could kind of relax and watch it easier after that. I think the community, at least I feel this way, I feel like you feel this way, Brian, we felt like you were very special and we had no idea who you were. There was something, I don't know what it was, there was a vibe, there was something in the air, they said, you know, this this Amy is somebody special, but I we have no Aww. idea who the actor is. And, and then we do learn about Candy and we love you, but it was so funny how... Aww. Even before we knew who you were, yeah, there, yeah. there was just this vibe that this is somebody, this is somebody special, oh. you, right, Brian? Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Way? You got, a, I mean, a lot of buzz from everybody. There was, it was just a right lot away, of, right away, and we had no idea who you were. And this is before we saw you on TV. I mean, there was something. You're such Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Still, that's such a lovely thing to say. Thank it's true. It's honestly true, and I think hear. a lot of other fans feel that way too. I yeah. think a lot of fans. I don't know if it was. We saw pictures of you or what it was, but there was just this feeling that you were going to be somebody special, and you were, and you are. Yeah. It's something. I still thought, like, I'm like, oh, she's, you're Laura Palmer. You're Laura Palmer. That was my theory. (laughs) You're Laura. I'm like, Dougie is Cooper, and Candy is somebody who's obsessed with the weather. I I agree with you. I thought at the (laughs) restaurant, the piano was going to play, and all of a sudden, Candy was going to turn into Laura Palmer. Yeah. yeah, I agree with yeah. you. I thought it was gonna ha- something else was gonna happen. Yeah, like, uh, we had a lot of theories. Well, I like that with Candy. I think she really just shows me that the simple things in life are to be treasured mm. and are to be recognized. This is very I true. Agree. Yeah, and th- that was kind of what yeah, we learned from Dougie, so. right? Dougie's t- same thing that like and the Dougie best thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the best thing is home, and like because Candy does have her own home. I mean, she. You weren't. I think I read somewhere where you know you weren't in that part where uh, the Mitchum brothers said, "We fire her. She's got no I... place to go. <laughs> you know, we can't fire her. We can't get rid of her." And like they, you guys were kind of like a family there, the Mitchum brothers. Yeah, and the... me personally, I feel like home is where the heart is. Use yeah. that cliche, but it is. It's not a physical building. It's where your heart is and where you feel at home. And whether that for her was just wherever the Mitchum brothers are, like you see how happy she is entering Twin Peaks. She's never even heard of Twin Peaks. Right. <laughs> but she's so happy in the car to see it. And she's so welcoming of everyone. She always wants to make sure everyone's looked after. They all get their finger sandwiches. They all get their drinks. They all get their snacks. <laughs> she just wants to make sure her boys are okay. She's, yeah. she's just, you know, happy making everywhere a home. So she makes the hospital room a home for Dougie. Oh, she yeah, makes, that's true. That's true. She makes everywhere a home for her boys. Makes right. sure everyone's all okay and looked after. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She's just happy on the road. She's like a puppy dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you ever want to celebrate, the best soul to invite to, to celebrate with you is a dog. They're already always ready to celebrate. Yeah, You know, when do you ever say to a dog, hey, let's get excited? And <laughs> they right. get excited. <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's happy. She's just ready to be there for you. Yeah, 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 definitely. She's and, a giver. 
And what's it like seeing um, all these fans? There's so much fan art of candy, and it seems like the, the community loves candy. I mean, I'm blown away by people's talent and support and love and creativity. It's incredible. Yeah. I have the candy pin. I love it. I got one for my mom. Aww. I got one for my friends. For Joanna Ray, the costume director. Like, that was wild. And yeah, I'm kind of holding out for a Funko Pop. I think that would be amazing. Yes. <laughs> but we haven't quite got there yet. I agree. We got to pitch that. Yeah, season three yeah, Funko Pops. I love, I love the candy love because she's so loving and kind, and I would love to spread that in the world. I think we all need a bit of kindness and Me love too. out there. Yeah. So I feel like candy, candy is that. She's just there's nothing bad about her. She wouldn't know how to say negative words. Right. She tried. And I think about when she was crying, it's like, oh, you'll never love me. It was never, I mean, there's no, there's no bad part of her. She just cares about people no. and she feels horrible if she would in any way yeah. accidentally hurt somebody. So, Even oh. a fly. Oh, devastated. <laughs> yeah. You're devastated. Her, just devastated because he's been so kind to her and how could she possibly hurt him that way? Yeah. It was yeah. unintentional, but still she could feel his pain. And so, did you have a favorite scene that you were that you were in because of either a it was a great scene or because of just that day of the people around that you were you were with? Every single one has its own blessing. I mm. mean, yeah, the, the fly scene is of course up there. I love it. Uh, I love working with Robert. I think we work so well together. That was fun. And even and there was a take they didn't use where Jim Belushi picks me up. It was so funny. I mean, I think it was probably not exactly what. David was going for, but it was very funny. I saw photos <laughs> of it, and I love. I wish we had that on, on an outtake reel because that Aww. was amazing. I love the three of us with such a giggle, and I love the scene actually. I really quite enjoyed the scene where I leave to go and get Tom Sizemore, and then when I come back with him because I feel like it was a very kind of cheeky moment for her where she was just being a little playful with the boys. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love favorite. that. I mean, I love that. That scene was great. For first, it was so funny because. You, Candy's out there for so long. It's like, what is she talking about? And then for her to finally respond. And then I was rewatching that today, and to get rid of him, you were like dragging him out of the <laughs> out of the the room. And at one point, I think you had your hands on his shoulder and like dragging him out of the yeah. room. And I thought that was hilarious too, because yeah. like <laughs> you have this character who seems to be out of it most of the time, and all of a sudden you're like just grabbing and getting him <laughs> out of the room. I thought that was great. Well, she's kind of slowly slinks her hand out. Those pink gloves are so lovely on his gray suit, and she's just kind of sneaky, you know. Like everything she does, there's no rapid movement with Candy. It's all very sensual and slow and loving and caring. And she's just, you know, oh no, let's go. We don't want you there anymore. <laughs> <We're done laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I'm going to bring you some Ralph, and you're going to be okay. <laughs> are you able to take anything from the set, like as a memorabilia? Some of the kitty that I would use for my for my rehearsals at home. I have oh, that. That's cool. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, and they gave us all a sweater, and ah. actually they gave us like a, a gorgeous little lunchbox tin. This has been so good to be able to talk to you, and yeah. I, I really love your mm-hmm. character, and I was re-watching all your scenes today, and I was like, wow, I forgot how good that was, how good this <laughs> was, and, and, and now just you talking about it, yeah, you really do are very physical in how you move, and I, I think that it's really special that you shared with us that that's something that you were very considerate of. Yeah, it's something I wanted to do. As I said, you know, if it's a small part. If you've limited dialogue on on the script, you got to speak with your body. I like sending a message with everything I do art-wise, and I feel with her I wanted to really express the message of love hmm. and awe and appreciation. My mother is 
always taught me to be very appreciative of the small things in life. I mean, she blows my mind how appreciative she is of the smallest of things, the biggest of things. And that's, in a way, what candy is. And I think the world would be a happier place if people were more enthusiastic and happy and grateful for what we have. It's true. It's true. And I like that she did that. And even if she's not saying it, I don't think anyone walked away not knowing that she was appreciative and loved things. Like giving the prizes I mean, how excited she was by <laughs> making sure everything was so perfectly placed because, oh my God, we're going to give him keys to a new car. I mean, she couldn't believe that she was giving a person keys to a brand new car. Like that, <laughs> that to her, if you watch that again, I hope you will see that. Yeah. That's how excited she is. She's not just giving him cufflinks, but this keys to a new car. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> You know, so these are priceless gifts and air conditioning. I mean, I know this summer it was melting in Los Angeles. Yeah. I, I, I walked into many a room last year saying how grateful I was for air conditioning, and then I kind of laughed. I caught myself saying, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I'm literally saying why well, just speaks in real life now. <laughs> <laughs> when you're really warm, you've got air conditioning. Oh, my God. David's a genius. I mean, David and, and Mark, they're geniuses. They <laughs> are. Little things. But he doesn't have a finger sandwich. I mean, come on. They need to be out there more. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy. We really loved talking with you. It was it was something special. Thank you so much. Yeah, when you do the documentary, we'd love to have you on again. Like, yeah, we'd love to. Cause I want to see that. I really yeah. want to see this documentary. Cause... Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you. And I will definitely let you know. <laughs> All right, we're on the phone with John Thorne. You know him from Wrapped in Plastic. You know him from the Blue Rose magazine. And he wrote The Essential Wrapped in Plastic Pathway to Twin Peaks. Hi, John. Hey, guys. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I know it's been a few months, but I, I still want to talk about the Blu-ray. I mean, it's still so much. There's so much content in in the Blu-ray. What was your experience getting the Blu-ray and having, like, over six hours of these, like, documentaries? Well, I mean, yeah, I was, it was really surprising for the most part because uh, I didn't expect it to be as much behind-the-scenes information um, as there was. David Lynch is well-known for not giving us a lot of, uh, you know, the piece behind the curtain, so to speak, of, of how he makes his movies. And I know he did surprisingly give us some significant stuff on that Mulholland Drive Criterion release. And, but this, what we ended up getting for Twin Peaks was was like, you know, six or seven times more what we yeah. got from <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Although I think probably in this case, they were very aware of of they were going to produce this for a home video release. The Mulholland Drive stuff may have happened by accident to some extent, but uh, so I think they, they planned this, and I think actually they were quite in control of what they were going to allow us to see and not see. But I'm you know getting off uh, too far ahead of myself right now. Just I was uh, thrilled with how much uh, was there and how how much fun it was to watch. 
Yeah, to be actually like right next to Lynch <laughs> as he's directing and seeing the making of of this show is just unbelievable. Pretty wild. Yeah, I actually when I first got it, I would like I would fall asleep to it. Like I would like before I would go to bed, I would like put it on play all, and it would be like you know at least for that um which one is that? That's the journey behind the scenes of Twin Peaks, the impressions one. That's like five hours. So I was like I would try to see how long I could stay up before I fell asleep <laughs> watching it. But it's so good. Do you have a favorite documentary? Yeah, I think if I. I had to pick favorites, I'd probably pick the two Richard Beamer pieces yeah. um, because they were just sort of pure. There was no narration. There was no stylized element to it. It was just, it was just sort of like you were right there. Huh. You were right. You were Richard Beamer walking around with the camera. Now, I've watched those a couple of times, and I can see that Beamer, you know, very carefully edited pieces so they're all scenes that look like they connect together, but they're actually, you know, completely different red room scenes. Hmm. Uh, and, he, and he overlaps the audio to kind of give you that sense of, of it all being simultaneous. This is the same thing. So actually, they're, they're very well made. I mean, they're yeah. extremely well made in terms of the audio, in terms of the editing. But I liked them just because it was just full immersion. You know, you were right yeah. you were in the red room with Lynch and everybody else, and you kind of got the nitty-gritty. And I, I like it, too, because I think you see Mark Frost uh, yeah. in yeah. one of the Beamer ones. I was just thrilled to see him sitting there talking to Colin McLaughlin, yeah. you know. Uh, so that was that was fun. I liked all of what was on there, but if I guess if I had to pick, those were the ones that uh, just yeah. seemed to... Definitely the Richard Beamer. I liked you because you felt like you were part of the crew. Like, yeah. you know, he's talking with some of the crew, and he's up there uh, with with the curtain. Uh, look, you, know, yeah. you just yeah. felt like I'm part of the crew. It's of, like a whole movie. Yeah. You made it feel like a whole movie oh, yeah. almost. Because you don't really hear the cameraman. There are, like, flies on the wall. With Richard Beamer, he was just part of everything. Right. You didn't care. You know what, what was kind of nice about having Richard Beamer there to do that was that he inadvertently was sort of the documentarian on the uh, last episode of the second season yeah. uh, of the original Twin Peaks. Oh, there. We, we, a lot of people have seen his pictures. I think a lot of them are in uh, David Bushman's book, the uh, Twin Peaks FAQ. A lot of them were in wrapped in plastic, um, and, and we see them now. Uh, actually, they're on. Aren't they all on the um, Twin Peaks Complete Mystery? I don't know, a great many of them. Yeah, they're, you're right. There was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so everybody can now, and anybody who's listening to this, if they want to see that, they can go and look at that Blu-ray set. And he was there taking color and black and white, mostly black and white pictures, when Lynch was filming in the Red Room at the end of season two. And uh, to me, today, even now, those photos that he took are just, you know, great, great resources to go back and look and see what was happening there on the set. And then and suddenly he's back with an HD camera, doing the same thing 25 yeah. years later. So there's a nice synchronicity there. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think uh, Richard would mind me saying this, but I talked to him on the phone. It wasn't part of our interview. I don't even know if I shared this with you, Brian. When David Lynch said he could come back and work on the new series... I don't think David Lynch knew what he was going to do. Maybe he'd take some more still pictures. And I think it was Richard who said, oh, I want to do video. Impressions, to me, is a very interesting documentary. I keep saying it's like a foreign guy, and he's like, he's following. He's looking for Lynch. The man with the gray elevated hair. Yeah, that's wow. it. That's yeah. it. Beautiful landscapes. Like, you could just you just see yeah. the, the country. And then you go all of a sudden go in and get really close into what Lynch is doing. And I thought that was a unique way of uh, telling the story. Yeah, the interesting thing about those is that there's almost establishing shots. You know, they're going to do a scene in Twin Peaks, even if they're shooting it on set in L.A. It's a Twin Peaks scene, and so 
preceding it, there is a shot of the mountains or a shot of the river. Right. As you're watching this, I mean, obviously it's it's orchestrated, it's designed this way by the filmmaker, but you kind of know, okay, oh, this is a Twin Peaks scene, even though it wasn't shot in the order that it's being given to us, or nor was it shot necessarily in the place that they're showing us. Yeah. But I, I kind of like that. I like I like you show Las Vegas, and yeah. of course they didn't shoot Las Vegas either. Like, okay, these are going to be these are going to be you know Dougie scenes or whatever, and and I I, I appreciate it the way they kind of signaled to us, you know, what we were going to see and where it fit in, in the story. Jason S. was the one that did that documentary, but I guess he was sick, I think, for, for the beginning of the production. And so it was nice that Charles there was able to do that one week in Twin Peaks and to be able to see Kyle and David Lynch actually exchange. And, and I, I loved seeing that stuff. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, I wish there had been more of that, actually, more on location. I mean, I know we get a lot, and obviously we're on location. We're seeing the car accident that they do, you know. We're seeing a lot of that great stuff, but it seems to me that we don't have a great deal of stuff from from the actual North Bend, Snoqualmie Hmm. area. I'm happy with what we got. It was great. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm just you know, one of those people. It's like, I want to see some more. I want to see. <laughs> was there? I don't recall because I've only watched that documentary one time, so I forget. What were there some behind the scenes or making of shots in the Double R Diner? I don't recall. I don't think there was. To... No, I mean they really didn't do I, a lot like of Double R. No. No. I would love to have seen that. And maybe they have more. Maybe someday there will be, there'll be some more to come out. Um, yeah. They shot up for a long time. They did a lot of interesting things up there on location. And right. um, it was great to see what we got. I really loved that. You know, wow, it's only half an hour? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Charles mentioned he had like over 300 hours of footage. Wow. He had like a lot of footage yeah. he sat on. I mean, maybe they could make a documentary for the, the 4K release. I was just going to say that. You know, we, uh, we talked to Sabrina and... And it was like they could do a 4K, but we're not at that point right now where there's yeah. enough people who have 4K players, 4K TVs. Yeah. But down the road, you're right, they could add more to it or something. Yeah, we got Even though we have like <laughs> six and a half hours or whatever we have. It's all Star Wars time. all over oh. again. How many versions do you need? Yeah. It's also possible, and, and I think probable, so Sabrina and, and David Lynch and Mark Frost and a few other people maybe were really quite um, careful about what they allowed to be released in these documentaries. There's a lot of scenes that are sort of obvious by their omission. You know, it would have been nice to see more of, you know, Carrie Page stuff or Cooper with Diane um, after he comes out of the Red Room. I I think they were like, you know, we're not... We're not going to let anyone see any of that because it keeps the mystery alive, and that's fine. I think they were careful. I, I'm sure that we reviewed all of these uh, extras with the Blu-ray were carefully vetted and reviewed by uh, you know the powers that be to yeah, make sure yeah. that they, they you know we didn't see certain things. So. But there are there are, there are different little things that I mean I love to hear what you have to say about there's like little things like just dialogue and things that that you get to hear and maybe put things together. There was something where oh, like yeah. just something like David Lynch and um, what's Zarowski, um, Sarah Palmer. He was talking about like okay you're gonna leave the room and then you're gonna smash the bottle and you're gonna run, you're running out of alcohol so you're gonna be going to the bar soon. And I when I was watching the show I wasn't sure if things were in order so it's like was she did she run out of alcohol and then go get 
get more alcohol at the store or was she really, was the order always to go to the bar next? But at least with Lynch talking to her, it made me think, okay, maybe this has always been the order <clears throat> that she runs yeah. out of alcohol and then she decides to go to a bar. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I have to watch that again because that's a really good point to make because it is a little confusing time-wise, just what's going on with Sarah Palmer there. We saw her, you know, at the liquor store, but she doesn't have any. She, yeah, she doesn't bark. I will say this. It's a good place to say it. Anybody who ever critiqued Twin Peaks or commented on Twin Peaks or who made, you know, an observation about Twin Peaks that David and Pitch was A, making stuff up as he went along, or B, trying to pad it out. He had more time to fill than he really needed. He's completely proved wrong by these documentaries. It is clear that Lynch had the entire story mapped out in his head. Everything was clear to him how it had to be. He knew the order in which it had to happen. There's nothing, I think, in this Twin Peaks, except for maybe you know a few odds and ends, but it was ad-libbed. I think this truly was something that Lynch had completely defined in his mind before he started filming. And as you watch him, you can see that. He will close his eyes and he will go through the scene. He knows exactly, not only what's going to happen in the proper order, he knows exactly what camera angle he's going to have, how light he's going to be. Criticism you do see by some people are saying, well, you know what, he, he kind of just made up. As he went. You've seen that kind of thing before. People say, oh, well, right. he, he had to fill 18 hours. He had 18 hours figured out. That's crazy. And this is proof of that. So. I totally agree with what you're saying. I think Lynch does like to ad-lib a little bit, but he definitely followed the script and he knew where it was going. It was interesting when we talked to Sabrina how she had to keep him on task because I think he would have liked to have played a little bit more and done things, but that doesn't mean he's making it all up. Yeah. It's more of him like wanting to try other things and have... Two different things. things. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And even when you look back at the original series, I still think about episode 29 there, how much people always say he did throw things out, but he still also knew the point of staying on script and that you did have to do certain things because it was supposed to be like a cliffhanger. So we still had to make sure Ben mm-hmm. gets hit by the uh, yeah. uh, fireplace and all that. You no, know, I, I absolutely agree with you on, on, the, on and I've written about that uh, last episode. I do think Lynch was very aware of, you know, what he had to deliver in terms of what the network needed and what the series needed. But also he was, you know, certain that he was going to tell the story a very specific way. And so he did it, you know, gave them what they needed and he did what he wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's pretty careful uh, work there. There are some instances in these new documentaries where you hear him talk about, we don't have time, to, I wish we had more time to play or we had yeah. more time to explore it. Um, clearly they were taking on a monumental task of making 18 hours and yeah. certain budgetary constraints, I'm sure. They, uh, I know that they had constraints in terms of schedules for various actors who could only be, you know, on set at a certain time. They had to get, you know, the material done on time. And, and it, you know, I think some of that confined Lynch a little. You see he can get a little frustrated in some cases. You know, he is a professional and an expert. And he did it. I mean, he yeah. made it happen. He did. So, um, yeah. yeah. 
I was thinking about, like, there was one point where I think they're talking about the Great Northern. They only had two days to shoot in the Great Northern. And he was, Lynch was getting frustrated about that. It was like, why do we only have two days? And it was interesting yeah, also yeah. to, you know, we talking with Richard Beamer where he only had, he did it in two days, all of his scenes. And I think he was a little frustrated that he wanted more time to develop his character and <laughs> learn who his character was because it's been so long. So it's interesting to see you have probably the director who wishes there was more time. And I think you also have the actors who you wish he had much time, but they have to make it work. And it's it's impressive what they really have accomplished. Eighteen hours of all these characters, all these places, and, yep. and it's it's, yeah. it's something else. You know, it, absolutely. And some of the more interesting things. There's a lot of interesting material on those documentaries. But I find those short scenes you'll get where Lynch is sitting at a table, probably early morning, and they're going over what they need to do for the day and maybe for the next two days. And you hear the voices of his production assistants and his, you know, a number of different creative talent behind the camera. You just see Lynch. And they're talking about, you know, well, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and why can't, and Lynch is like, why can't we do it this way? And, oh, you're going to lose the day if we do it that way. Mm-hmm. And that whole sort of hashing it out, I find that really somewhat more interesting almost than anything else, because they are just sitting there thinking it through. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating, of course, to watch him directing, and it's fascinating to watch, you know, working with the actors, but planning it out, and you realize just how big of a project this was that they were taking on. I know me and Ben, we discussed this a couple times, and you probably know where I'm going to go. The Carrie Page thing. We're in the Red Room, and I think it was a crew member was calling uh, Cheryl Lee Carrie Page. Carrie Page. Page. But again, remember this is near the end of the filming, so they've already filmed Carrie Page. They filmed her first, and this is like the Red Room stuff was last. Yes. So it's interesting. So what Brian's getting at is like, why were they calling her, her Carrie, Carrie Page? Page? Is is that Carrie Page in the red room? Is that what you're uh, well, linking I, it I to? Just, no, it's a mystery, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I find it to be very interesting that she's referred to as Carrie Page and not Laura Palmer. But David Lynch doesn't call her da- Carrie Page. But why would I? I know, but I'm just saying, why <laughs> would this cast member or somebody say Carrie Page? I just think it's very interesting. Okay. Don't you? I mean, don't you? Do you find I think it is. Very interesting. It is so interesting. In fact, I went back and I watched it a couple of times. I, the, un, unfortunately, you never see anyone say it. You yeah. only yeah, hear you only it. hear it. Right. Yeah. And we don't know where that audio came from. I, I'm sure it happened on the Red Room set, but I know that there's instances where there's overlapping audio from other, you know, other parts, uh, other filming parts that are we're hearing them as we're seeing. Is something else. Yeah. yeah. But, but but someone, I do believe, someone did say Carrie Page while they were shooting um, in the Red Room. And, and yes, it got me thinking. You know, uh, in fact, I talked to Scott about it. He's probably going to kill me because I'm, I'm giving away. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, we were like, well, her hair is the same. Yes. The Laura Palmer that we see in the Red Room has the same hair that we see mm. Carrie Page. Yeah. And, and, and Lynch... You know, could easily have had or had different hair if you wanted her to, you know, have a different look. And so, yes, it is curious. I mean, you you do wonder: is it Laura Palmer or is it Carrie Page? I mean, just having that little audio bit opened that door up. You know, I don't think we would have considered it maybe too much. But then, yeah, then you start thinking. What I did after I heard that, as I went back and I watched the scene where uh, he first encounters. Uh, Laura Palmer uh, in the new series, and he says, you know, aren't you Laura Palmer? And she says, um, I feel like I know her. Yes. 
Uh, and, but then later she says, I am Laura Palmer. So yeah, one and the we're same. getting both, you know, I, so I thought, well, maybe they're, you know, maybe they are trying to tell us it's not her, but she does say she is. So, uh, yeah, that was fascinating. There are a lot of little tidbits like that scattered throughout the documentary that, yeah. that give you little hints about things that might lead somewhere to a theory. What is your thoughts about the, the giant, the fireman in the red room? Mm. And you have Richard Beamer, who I think this is what you were getting at earlier, that Richard Beamer took a shot of uh, Kyle uh, Cooper there, and then you see the giant. And I don't know if that scene is happening at the same time or not. It's hard to tell. Right. But the giant saying, remember, it's probably saying the same thing, remember the numbers, I'm guessing. Or What do you think about that? That's a, like a deleted scene? Um, or? Well, I think it's obvious that the giant was going to be in a Red Room scene. Now, like, see, again, it's so it's difficult to extrapolate too much because we don't have enough. So yeah. it's easy for me to say, oh, okay, that's how the giant was going to appear. And then they changed their mind because they cut it. And we get the giant sitting across from Cooper, you know, in the prologue. Yeah. And they, you know, they did that. Now, it could be that that giant sitting across from Cooper was always there and that he just sort of came back again in the red room as a reminder. Don't forget. Remember, I right. talked to you. You know, I mean, we don't know what the intent was, but obviously it was there to shoot. Obviously they shot. Some material. It does sound like he's saying remember, and obviously they did not use that material. You know, those are data points. You can start, you know, all making some guesses. Why didn't they use it? Did Lynch say, you know what, if it needs to be in a different locale, the giant doesn't appear in the red room, he just isn't supposed to be there? Yeah. Or is it just redundant? We don't need it. Right. We already established it. So we don't know, but it's fascinating <laughs> to, it uh, to see that and then you know realize that there was some intent at least at one point to go in one direction and then it changed. Yeah. I think there's a there's a line that Laura says that was cut that she says I think you, I think right. she says a line you see me alive. Hear that in the documentary but that line is not in the show. Hmm. Wow. And again it's only one line but I you know start immediately thinking well, what does that mean? You see me alive. You see me alive. Okay, what does that imply? Does that imply that Cooper is seeing what he wants to see? You're seeing me alive, even though I'm I'm not. Or are you going um, to the future, the past, where she he actually does then see him, her alive? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly mm. right. That line was scripted. We know that much. And Cheryl Lee is saying it at one point. Uh, whether or not Lynch actually shot it, because I think we see her rehearsing it. That's where I got it. Does he say, don't say it? It doesn't matter. Or did he later in editing go, you know what, we're cutting that line. Again, we don't know. Right. But uh, it's fascinating. With one more line, if you don't mind me just continuing along. Yes. Uh, uh, one of the most fascinating lines that Lynch spoke, one of his, his actual directions to McLaughlin happens in the uh, the one week in Twin Peaks. I guess it's the first documentary. Cooper is, is going to run in to the sheriff's station, and he comes running in. He's supposed to come running in, and McLaughlin looks to Lynch, and how, how do I react here? Because he's going to see Andy. And Lynch says... No oh, time has passed for you. Yeah. No okay, time. it's good. No time. No time has passed for you. Action. No time has passed for you. 
And so it's like, whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, I tried to build something out of it, but I couldn't because it's not enough. It's just not enough. But it's still a fascinating line. Yeah. When he says that no time has passed for you, does it, does it mean that as far as Cooper can remember, he was just in Twin Peaks, you know, a few hours ago? Ooh, yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to attach any deeper meaning to it. Anyway, I love that. That, That's to me, was fascinating mm-hmm. to hear him say that. It kind of gives you the sense that with Cooper in the Red Room, at the very least, the, the 25 years he was in the Red Room, probably he didn't experience it at 25 years. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe he did, but when he came out, it all went away. It was He was just back to... I mean, you see it early earlier in the actual show when he's in the car with the Mitchum brothers and they're driving into Twin Peaks and he gets on the phone and he thinks it's Harry and he goes, get the coffee on, Harry, I'm coming. You know, it's like, <laughs> like no time has passed. Hey, I just left yesterday. So, uh, um, uh, what we can, what meaning we can pull out of that, I don't know, but but that's how Lynch was directing McLaughlin. And it's nice to have our uh, featurettes with with you and me in one yes, second there, yeah, forever yeah. on Blu-ray. And I love seeing you, John, and so your titles would change. Sometimes it's the co-creator of Raptor Plastic, or sometimes the, it would the be Godfather. the Godfather. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, author of... I don't of... think they use... <laughs> they should have used <laughs> the Godfather, lower third. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I was happy that that was there. I mean, that yeah. was fun to go out there and do that at Showtime, and it was cool. And it was it was nice to have a little footnote and have a couple of covers of wrapped in plastic appear. Yeah, you know, that's two DVD Blu-ray sets or whatever I'm on now. I yeah. The, uh, how cool that's is that? Oh, so the Showtime one, I was very happy with how that turned out. So that was, that was nice to be there. The only thing I actually, I have not watched yet, uh, I have not watched the Damon Lindelof Comic-Con panel yet so I, I haven't yeah. seen that i need to watch that still oh god yeah it, it's really good i did watch it on youtube so i haven't seen if it's any different from the one i've seen online same with me yeah, yeah. so i mean a part of me is like oh, i probably have already seen it but i would be great yeah. to rewatch it now yeah so far away from it now um but there's some good stories on that Talking about Lindelof, though yes uh, isn't it didn't don't you have an interview with him for blue rose magazine we do, yeah. It's in. The, it'll be in the next issue, issue five. Oh. We uh, we talked with him um, about Twin Peaks, and I, I gotta say, I just you know finished transcribing it a couple weeks ago, and I've been editing it and reading through it. It's it's really a good interview. I, I know he he's not directly connected with Twin Peaks in any way, but he has some insight in terms of how you make television. You know the demands of of what it's like to have to produce uh, uh, you know a series. And uh, we ask him questions about that and, and questions, uh, you know, from a creative standpoint. Uh, he has a lot of very, very interesting things to say. So I think, um, I hope, anyway, people will give it a look and read it because um, it, it's a really good interview. Awesome. And he was a lot of fun to talk to. So Yeah, that's, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, very I mean, excited. I love his work. I love yeah. Lost. I love The Leftovers. I think he does some really incredible He's stories. very inspired by yeah. Twin Peaks. Right. You I know? will say to you, I, I, had, I had a ton of Leftovers questions for him, and he had a limited amount of time. And we, uh, I saved those to the end, and I never got to them. So it was all, it's all Twin Peaks. It's all, and, I, yeah, I know. I, I really I had a lot of questions. Uh, I mean, you know, in The Leftovers, uh, there's, there's a, a sequence where um, Justin Thoreau character, I can't remember his name, 
basically has like a doppelganger, you know, another self that yeah, he has to yeah. deal with. And I, I really wanted to get into that with him. Um, but, uh, you know, he he's a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, I'm sorry, I got to go. I was like, okay, well, we got all the trophy stuff done. So uh, <laughs> I think you guys I, I set up another interview with him. Set up another interview maybe for next year or something. We could be the moderators. Uh, you know, we could be I the moderators. I talking about Watchmen when oh, Watchmen yeah, comes on. Yeah. HBO. I, would, uh, I, I just reread Watchmen again for like wow. the eighth time, and I would love to. Talk to him about that, but I don't know if that is something that could ever happen. And so, John, you're writing, you're continuing to write about uh, Twin Peaks in Blue Rose magazine. Does that mean you, you're you're still watching it a lot, or have you are you kind of putting it aside <laughs> and just thinking about the show? Or... <laughs> um, until very recently, because uh, I finished the essay that I that's going to be in issue five. I finished it last Wednesday. I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks. I've been putting it on <laughs> and watching scenes, particularly part two, part seventeen, and part eighteen. Those wow. are the those are the three hours that I I I've watched scenes from those three hours uh, a dozen times, maybe or more, wow. to get it. See if I can figure out how it connects. And so, yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad to be taking a little break from it. <laughs> I have to watch it as much, as much as I love it, and I do very much. I need a little distance from it now. I need a little time mm. to, uh, you know, step away from it. And then what I really do need to do is to sit down at some point and watch it all again. Yeah. You know, watch all it again. Uh, but that's not happening real soon. But yeah, to answer your question, um, writing about it, especially if you're trying to get down into a little detail of what's happening here and there, I've been watching it over and over. The scenes with Diane and Cooper, I write a lot about Diane. Uh, I've been watching exactly exactly what she says, exactly how the camera is staying with her and not with Cooper or in mm-hmm. some of those scenes, um, just to kind of get a sense of what I think Lynch was trying to do there. And I will tease uh, just a little bit. I paid a great, great deal of attention to uh, the FBI pin on uh... Cooper. And I, I feel some confidence in what, at the very least, what that pen means and why it's there sometimes and why it's not there other times. Wow, so I'm intrigued. We'll leave that in for now. So, so, <laughs> we can talk so, about it. Yeah. In a couple months, we'll, in a couple months, we'll have you back and talk about it. So Scott Ryan had the whole hair thing, his hair theory. You have a theory on the pin. I can't wait to read about it. Yes, it's going to be great. Can you tell us what the name of your article is? It's called Time and Time Again. The pin. You know, it's interesting. Um, after I was watching it, it seems to see. You can't talk about it though. He can't. No, no, no. I know this is something that I think I screw, I screwed up on. I'm just want to say it out loud now. I thought when I saw Mr. C for the first time that was his pin in the hair, and then I think when I saw it on the big screen in New York or on Blu-ray or I don't know, I realized that is not the pin in his hair. I right. really it's, thought it was though. Yeah, it's something different. It's, yeah. it's something different. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I will say I also went back and watched a lot of Firewalk with me again, um, uh-huh. and I would just say the pin is not on Cooper anywhere in Firewalk. Uh-huh. Wow, the plot thickens. I, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I feel like I haven't watched as much of the new series. Like after it ended, I kind of needed a break. I mean, I go for I go for scenes and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. But then, you know, it was a few months ago we went to New York to Museum of Modern Art and I saw eight hours. Oh, you know. 
uh, uh, four, I was it? No, how many hours was it? Four each day? I think it was four yeah. hours each day or something yeah. like that. But it's like, boy, the pace is great. I, I, I remember originally thinking week to week is like, oh, it's so slow. Where are we going to get Dale Cooper? What are we going to happen? And then rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is a good pace. I mean, things are yeah. happening. We're moving. We're, we're going. It's funny to rewatch it and, and appreciate it even more. I really I wish, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, man, it would have been great to see the whole thing that weekend. But my butt, my butt was so numb <laughs> that one day I was like, my legs were. I gotta ask you guys about that because I'm really curious, and I'll tell you what: if I hadn't been in New York, you know, a couple weeks earlier, I would have. If I had known that was coming, I would have made an effort to go to that. I cool. really love to see it on the big screen. I mean, I I was fortunate to see the first two hours on a big yeah. screen, but I didn't, you know, uh, I not I would love to see part eight on a big screen. That was nothing dream. That was for me to see yeah. that. Um, now, did you watch all 18 hours? No, or, so we only watched uh, the first eight. Ben went for two days. Yeah. I went for one day. And I got okay. to see episode eight. We saw episode eight. That was the last one we saw on the big screen. And they took a break, and then we but, went home. We went home. But they did show the full 18 yes. hours. Yeah, yes. so I think... It, it, I, I some say people it was, got to see the whole thing on, on, yeah. The, on yeah. the big screen. So it was like Friday was four hours. Saturday was seven hours. And Sunday, Sunday was seven hours, yes. so that's how they did it. And yeah, he took a break, an hour break in between four. I had tickets for all three days, so I yeah. probably could. I mean, it's it's trying to figure out where am I going to st- sleep, and the food. It's expensive. It's expensive in New York. Yeah. yeah. So, but we did notice one thing, John. Um, you know, yep. the plane when they get Diane on the plane, and on mm-hmm. TV, everybody was digging into the the windows, blinking, and they're yep. like, "Was that like an SOS? Like, what was that?" And then when we saw on the big screen, the the airplane windows do absolutely nothing. Yeah, there was no blinking. There was no blinking whatsoever. So, huh? Because it's definitely there. I mean, I've gone back and watched. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it before too. Does occur. Uh, I wonder why it wasn't in the version you saw. That is really interesting. There was there was a couple things like that. I I can't remember. There was. I feel like there was something else that was seemed a little off or a little. I can't remember now. Well, the picture was unbelievable. There's a scene. There's a Scene uh, with Big Ed in I can't remember what it is. Oh, we didn't get that far. Yeah, with the with the reflection. With the reflection is different, and so I mean, obviously, you know, that reflection was was deliberate. It was done in post production. It was Mm. it was something that was done on purpose. It was not an accident. And so, um, and see, uh, it's so subtle though, too. It's so. I mean, I guess you. It is very subtle. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, you know, and it, it, it's always fascinating. I mean, just think about that scene because because Ed burns something. Big Ed burns. He he lights yes. the match and he burns, and we don't know what that is, right? Oh, or do we? He I burned. Never did figure out what. It, yeah, <laughs> Christian. Christian was there, and he said he was going to watch for that. He's the one that noticed airplane after the well, episode. Christian, about Christian it, goes, yeah. "Did you notice mm. there was no no window thing?" And I'm right. like, "Oh my god, you're right." And he goes, I'm going to look for the window with Ed, I'm, the reflection, oh, yeah. because I can yeah. see it so yeah. big. And Right. Yeah. Interesting. You do, now now yeah. you do wonder if they, there were subtle things they changed because they had to do color correction. They, there, was all, there was a whole big process to put it on the big screen, the, the sound and stuff. So they're definitely, I guess if you wanted to, you could tinker around with it or, I don't know, though. I don't know. It's crazy. You know, it's yeah. interesting because, and this is something I'll ask you guys, you may know the answer, and... And we can put it out there because I'm sure there's somebody out there who knows. But um, <clears throat> for a long time, there was this uh, suggestion or controversy or whatever you want to call it about Firewalk with Me that the theatrical version, when it was originally shown in theaters, 
1992 that when Chuck Desmond reaches for the ring, mm. the screen changes, that the screen faded to white, and that in every subsequent, and I make it this reverse, but in, in every subsequent home video release of it, it fades to black. Now, of course, I never had an opportunity to go back and watch Fire Walk with Me because it was impossible to go get a theatrical version of it yeah. and, and watch say, well, is that true? But some people were adamant that it was, but their memory could be faulty. I, I, would, I would guess we should just go to the Criterion for a walk with me. That's director approved, and that's what Lynch wants. So whatever, the fade, the fade in or out, right. white or black, that's what Lynch wants. But yeah. uh, there, were, there was people who wrote to us back then, and I saw it you know, on the Internet way, way back then. It was... They were adamant that it was different in the theater than it was on home video. I don't <clears throat> Yeah, I remember I reading that in Wrapped in Plastic. I remember you talking about that. I don't know. And it's so funny how their memories, even today, I'm like, it was, it's not white now. It's, it's mandolin it's, effect. It's mandolin effect, right. You think, you, <laughs> you think it was one way. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, you, you know, and it could honestly, you know, you could remember it wrong. You could yeah. be sitting there at the theater and it, and, it, and it fades to black, but you think it fades to white. Right. It's not impossible to have a different memory of that. The Alamo Draft House Theater in Austin, Texas, back in, I think it was 2002 or 2003 or whatever, they did a, uh, a marathon of the entire series on the big screen. Wow. Uh, they, you know, That's awesome. Season one and season two. And it was Josh Eisenstadt who brought copies of the... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think he had it on Laserdisc, wow. and they had a way to protect it. And so um, I went I went down there for a little bit. I saw a little bit of it, and that's, you know, that we had an opportunity to interview uh, Phoebe Augustine and, and Kimmy Robertson uh, in front of the audience there, uh, uh, which was fun. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fascinating, you know, to have it. The, the entire series be playing on the big screen and had it as a marathon. I think it was 24 solid hours wow. and 20 so uh, you, you, uh, and they showed it all straight through with few breaks. Wow. But um, you know, I mean, with eighteen hours of season three, I guess maybe someday someplace will show it straight through. But um, it's a commitment if they're going to show it over three nights. You got to you got to be there. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be yeah. there. And you got to go in and, and make time. But I would love to do that. Hopefully, yeah. they will do that again in other places. I, I, I assume maybe. Uh, someplace in Los Angeles uh, might, uh, you know, want to do a similar screening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, spoke I, I to, we, we talked with Sabrina about about we. It was right before we were going to uh, see this screening, and she said it. She started off saying it was once in a lifetime, yeah. or it, it was going to be a rare thing that it would mm -hmm. be shown in theaters. Yeah. Part of me is like you go through all the effort of color coding it and and making it. Uh, good for theatric you think you'd want to show it a lot of times you know you wouldn't want to just have it maybe she's just being coy yeah. to get more people to go because if then if you were to say it could happen again right you i wanna... do though hope i hope it's yeah. somewhere you know near you uh, john or it's all around the country it's, it's, yeah, yeah it, it was it, such it, a great experience to yeah. see on the big screen it would, it would be great i mean it really would be great i'm just speculating without any um evidence, but I know the Seattle Art Museum in the past has shown screenings of Lynch films, uh, you know, they, uh, and they even had, I think, had some actors in attendance uh, last year, they did Firewalk with Me, so that would be a perfect venue. I mean, obviously, Seattle, I mean, it's perfect to be up in the filming location, uh, and I'm sure there's an interest in that 
area of the country, there'd be people who'd pay to go to the Seattle Art Museum and see, you know, 18 hours of, of Twin Peaks. So I, I, I suppose it's pretty hard to get a venue that's going to, you know, commit to that. Yeah. So it probably is going to be relatively rare. But I honestly would imagine there'd be some place in Los Angeles or, like I said, Seattle. Someday in the future, it's going to happen again. Yes, they're going yeah. to show it again on the big screen. And hopefully, you know, I'll get an opportunity to, to go see it that way. Anything else yeah. you want to share with us with uh, the Blue Rose magazine? It's Pretty much everything is done. We're trying to get a little bit further ahead of our schedule, you know, to have material done and, and so we can make sure we proofread it all. So, you know, the big essay that I wrote is done. The David Lindelof interview is done. We have the Ray Wise interview, which wow. is really cool. That's cool. Uh, that's there. Big um, issue. You know, Scott's got a piece on some music, and we've got a piece on the Blu-ray, of course, you know, because uh, that was a big thing since our last issue that, that came out. Jeff Lemire uh, is a well-known comic writer and artist. He's written for Marvel, he's written for DC, and he's, he's you know, very successful as his own independent creations that he's done for Image. He was a fan of Rap and Plastic, I guess, way back when, and he wow. started subscribing to the Blue Rose, and, you know, followed me on Twitter. I'm like, I can't believe you're following me on Twitter. <laughs> and, uh, and so, we, you know, we kind of got a friendship going, and he, um, he did an original cover for That's Issue awesome. 5, wow. which I think Scott tweeted at a, yes. a bunch of people to see it. But, you know, that was really kind of neat to have someone who's a successful you know, artists in their own right, and they, you know they're doing their own thing. He he essentially contributed this this cover to us, and we were thrilled to have him awesome. to do that. So, yeah. So I, I think issue five is probably the strongest issue yet. You know, every issue seems to get better. Uh, we've got planned. We've got some material already done for six. We've got planned. We've got a few interviews already done. We just need to transcribe for six. We've got plans for seven. Um, so we're keeping our fingers crossed that there'll still be an interest in it. You know, it's a different age than it used to be 20 years ago. Everybody yeah. can get a lot of information instantaneously. And so um, whether a magazine will stay viable, I don't know. But we're still real enthused about it, and we're producing material for it. So I hope people out there, you know, will support us. And um, we're still, you know, we've still got a lot of stuff we want to do so we'll see yeah yeah and you know we love the magazine yeah. and there's, there's something about having a physical magazine i know you can get so much stuff and so many people do stuff online but there's something about that physical magazine they get to hold and go through the pages mm -hmm. and and of course to read your work john i mean your work is amazing i i think i've told you how how impressed i was with your episode guide in the last two issues and it was so good and it was great to see your analysis of that and I, I just can't wait to see what you do next. You know, thanks very much. I appreciate that. I, I really love writing about Twin Peaks. And I, I will tell you, it's interesting. Um, it, it's such a complicated show, and it, 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 there's so much going on in it um, that a lot of times I really don't know what I think about it. <laughs> so I sit down and I start to write about it. And the interesting thing about writing about it is you have to really, really slow down. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, what? What happened in the next scene? And I'll go back and I'll watch it. I'll go, okay, so Diane said that, and then Cooper reacted that way. And, you know, and I'll go back and I'll look at it again. And I'll, and I'll go, well, you know, every time I watched it fast, I kind of didn't think a lot about it. But now that I'm watching it slowly, uh, it uh, does kind of gel a little bit, more, at least for me. I mean, I've got ideas uh, about 
what I think happened. Um, it's very easy to poke holes in it because there's so much going on in that show. But um, but slowing down to write about it and really think about what's the camera angle like? What yeah. was Lynch trying to do in this? Why did he cut at this particular moment? What was the music cue right here? When I mean, you start watching it that way, um, at least you get a little bit of a, a sense of maybe an intent on Lynch's part, or at least, you know, what, how he was thinking. And I don't in any way uh, try to say that I, you know, figuring out what Lynch was thinking, but, but watching it slowly does allow you to kind of unpack it a little bit more. And then that's what writing does for me when I'm writing about it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm having to really slow down and analyze it uh, in more detail. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thank you, John. It's been great talking to you. I always love talking to you about the show, and uh, we got to have you on again soon. Maybe after uh, the, uh, the new issue comes out, we can talk more about your, your article. Yeah, we'd love to. That'd be great. Thank you, Amy, for coming on the show. It was great talking with you. And thank you to John Thorne for being on today's show. And I believe the BlueRoseMagazine.com, if you type in TPU, you might still be able to save two bucks on this year's subscri subscription, the Log Lady subscription. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So go do that. So, Ben... How is everything going on Twitter? Twitter's great. Twitter's always fun. It's always I I love all the pictures and the artwork that people have been posting. It's always something else. Always good discussions. Great community. Yeah, follow us and follow the others like uh, Blue Rose Mag. Not that long ago we had Donna Day, which they just decided to do. Hashtag That's all Donna Scott. Day. It's all Scott. It was fun though. We all got in on it we yes. all get to pick our favorite donna um i mean stuff like that makes it fun to be on social media totally sometimes you you're like oh it's too much negativity or it's too much like the same thing and then you have people like scott and us and john and other people who really put interesting things out there and we're putting interesting out we have been putting interesting things out there uh some pictures Right? Yeah, when we had when we interviewed Richard Beamer, uh, that week that we had him on, we did the show. We were putting out pictures on all of the different artwork, all of the different uh, Richard Beamer's photography. I mean, he he has, I, I he's more than fifty Twin Peaks uh, photos really that cool. he took that that week. Basically, that was eight days of the last uh, week of episode twenty nine there and stuff. So he's got some great photos and it was so cool to hear about that he was just doing for fun you know with yeah. his friends basically it, it was something yeah so we get to share some of this with everybody yeah you've seen a lot of it well we on the donna day there's a picture of donna the only real donna laura flint boyle <laughs> the only real donna okay you snuck that in there the only real donna but it, it's a fantastic photograph i love that photo it's three it, it, three headshots of the actress uh, kind of like scared and nervous and kind of mischief maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. It's, really it, good. it. it's so cool. Um, so check that out. Join us on yeah, social media. And how's Facebook? Facebook, we're getting um, more likes every day. We're getting more people are commenting on things. Um, it's awesome. Facebook's kicking butt. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and you can send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. We get a lot, a lot of great emails all the time, so thank you for those. 
you know, we keep go to iTunes and give us those five stars and yeah. give us, uh, you know, a review. Let us know what you think of our our show. Yep. It lets other people know about the show. It, it gets, uh, you know, the word out, and we really do appreciate all the people who have uh, who have reviewed and given those five stars. Yeah, and we're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. Still waiting to hear back from Spotify, but we're at least we're in the door, and. I guess with all that, Ben, it's time to say goodnight. Goodnight. It's a rainy afternoon, 1990. In a big city. Jeez, it's been 20 years. Candy. You were so fine. Today we've got John Thorne, the legend, the myth, the legend, the, the bad, godfather. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> You're gonna have to edit this out. Oh God! Thank here we you, go. Eagles for being on the show. It is such a. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know why I started laughing. You have to add all this to the end of the show after the. After yes. The... All right. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's because I said thank you, John Thorne. <laughs> Because I was like, what am I saying? <laughs> I'm, still thinking, I'm still thinking about the opening of oh, the show. Oh, we're done with the open. <laughs> All right, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, God, this is great. All right. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm going to turn your mic down. Ben's crying over here. Big thanks to John Thorne for being on today's show. We really appreciate it. And I believe if you typed in the code TPU... <laughs> The Blue Rose Magazine webpage. You still save two dollars. What is going? Ben needs air. Yeah.